Church, let me invite you to open God's Word with me this morning to the book of Revelation. Be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. Inviting the Lord to speak to us. Inviting the Spirit to speak to us as His church. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 991. I encourage you to follow along as we read and as we walk through this text. But I want you to embark on a journey with me over the next seven weeks uh, in order to consider what Jesus thinks of us, Meadowbrook Baptist Church. The church belongs to her Lord, which means we belong to Christ. We are His. And without Him, we are nothing. Our lives are, are meaningless and our gatherings are useless apart from Jesus. But because of Jesus, we have life. Abundant and eternal life, which means we have reason to celebrate and sing. We have reason to listen and respond, to challenge and encourage one another today. See, the everlasting God loves us. The King of all kings knows us. The head of the church hears us. And through His written word, He speaks to us. His words to the seven churches in the province of Asia recorded in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are also words to us. Though they are personal and specific, dealing with particular issues, the issues that they address provide a framework of church fundamentals. Each of these seven seven letters that we'll look at over the next several weeks follows a pattern. It begins with a portrait of Jesus Christ, followed by positive affirmation for a particular church, a particular body of believers, followed by constructive uh, critique or complaint, uh, motivation to comply, and, and a call to listen. The letters are brief and bold, addressed to the church in the city. Reminder of Jesus' words that His people are to be in the world, but not of the world. We witness and we worship as we wait on Jesus Christ. We live here in this world as we long for heaven. We reflect the light of Christ as we remain in a lost culture. We sing and we serve. Far too often we sin. We, we need to hear from our Savior again. So let's hear from Him this morning. Let's hear from Him through His Word. Let's hear the voice, the words, the message of Jesus Christ to us. Let me invite you, church, to join me standing for the reading of our text for this morning. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Christ's Word to the church in Ephesus. Jesus said to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Verse 4, yet I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together, church. Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you that you address your people. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you don't leave us in the dark. And we thank you that by by your grace, we have copies of your word this morning that we can open and read and, and hear and respond to. So, Father, we pray that your spirit's presence would be felt and known by your church, known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church this morning, that we would hear from you be changed by you, led to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Well, Jesus says to the first church of Ephesus, you have forsaken the love you had at first. The first church fundamental at stake is love. Though this church appears to have it all together, they have a love problem. They don't love Christ in the way that they once did. And they need to hear once again that the Lord Jesus knows, loves, and lives among his people. Lord Jesus, Savior that we serve, the one that we have gathered in the name of this morning, knows, loves, and lives among his people. Each of these seven letters begins with a portrait of Christ particularly highlighting a particular aspect of the vision in chapter 1 of this this Christ, this resurrected one, this one who's high and and lofty, majestic, and splendid. Revelation 2, verses 1 and 2, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. You see, this one, this Jesus that we adore, the Savior that we worship, is sovereign over the stars in the sky. He's sovereign over the angels in the heavens and His churches on earth. As we saw in chapter 1, as Christ explained to His people in chapter 1, these seven golden lampstands represent the churches, all churches, shining in the light of God's presence. His, His Spirit resides among them. For His Spirit is in them. And the light that they portray, the light the church portrays, is the Holy Spirit of God. So I read this and reflected on some of chapter 1, and particularly coming to the vision of Christ in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. I'm fascinated by what John sees when he turns around to look at this trumpeting voice that he hears. He hears this booming voice like a trumpet. Christ is speaking. John turns around. uh, Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Friends, the first thing that John sees when he turns around is the church. The church. The church of, of Jesus Christ in all our beauty and fullness radiating the presence of the Most High God. For God is with His people the end of the first century, John writes to seven churches of particular cities. It addresses, under the command and guidance of, of Christ, he addresses the church 
of Ephesus and of Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In this broad region of established city churches contrasts rather sharply with the close proximity of uh, the church at Brook Hills, Church of the Highlands, Church Unlimited, Meadowbrook Baptist Church, Asbury United Methodist, Oak Grove Baptist, Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran. Of course, we could extend the list on and on. Those are only the ones that are right in our neighborhood. Of course, a plethora of churches is a good thing, but choice begins to appeal to our consumeristic mindset, and it's easy to then criticize and critique, to look for greener pastures or just stay home and watch church on TV. Friends, Christ's word portrays the church as incredibly significant, as lavishly loved and as necessary for believers. But it also suggests that each church is different. No two churches are alike. Every church has problems and not all problems are equal. A church can cease to be a true church. Its lampstand can be removed. So as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, as a body of believers, we must long to hear what the Spirit of God says through the Word of God to us. I know your deeds, the Lord says. I know you. He knows us because he's with us. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, the Lord said to his followers, he said, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them, said Jesus. Spoken in the context of believers coming together to, to pray. Of course, every time the church gathers, the church ought to be praying and the Lord is, is with us. Reflecting on these truths, author Sam Storms is, is helpful. Listen to what he writes about the Lord's presence with us. He says, Jesus is present in and among his people. He guards and protects and preserves the church. He is never, ever absent. No service is conducted at which he fails to show up. No meal is served for which he does not sit down. No sermon is preached that he does not evaluate. No sin is committed of which he is unaware. No individual enters an auditorium of whom he fails to take notice. No tear is shed that escapes his eye. No pain is felt that his heart does not share. No decision is made that he does not judge. No song is sung that he does not hear. Friends, the Lord knows who we are. He knows us fully. He knows us full well. He's aware of what we do. He's aware of our faithfulness and our lack thereof. Through these letters, he speaks to us. And here in this first portion, this portion addressed to the church in Ephesus, we see that Christ values diligence, courage, and orthodoxy. Jesus Christ values among us. He values diligence, courage, and orthodoxy. Here's the positive affirmation that Jesus gives this body of believers. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. That's diligence. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. That's orthodoxy, or right belief, right doctrine, discerning the truth. Verse 3, you have 
persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's courage. goes on in verse 6. He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. A group of false teachers that we'll hear more about later. Again, that's orthodoxy. On the surface, you see, this church in this prominent port city seems to be thriving. Everything seems to be going their way. They are busy servants working together. No doubt they were volunteering at their local Jimmy Hale mission. They were greeting folks each week at the door. They were taking turns rocking babies in the nursery and collecting school supplies for needy children in their community. Might have even had a Sunshine sunshine Singers group and a knitting ministry, all sorts. They were busy at work addressing poverty, preaching the gospel, meeting regularly. They're fulfilling the command of James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. They are a doing church. Though a minority among the 250,000 or so people that were at that time now living in Ephesus, Christ's people stand out there. They cannot help but stand out in Ephesus, for the Ephesians boast in the great temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Domitian, Roman emperor reigning, the Roman Empire during the writing of this book also has a temple there. Dedicated to his worship, the imperial cult. Those who worship Christ alone face persecution there. But they are persevering. They are courageous. They are steadfast. They are standing strong. Furthermore, false teaching has been a perpetual problem there. Just as the Apostle Paul had predicted decades earlier. After spending time in Ephesus, encouraging and leading the church there to Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul said, I I know that after I leave Ephesus, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. Of course, Paul later writes the letter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is all about encouraging, instructing, really commanding Timothy to stay in a difficult place, to stay in Ephesus. And straighten out the problem there. To address the false teaching. Tradition suggests that John, the author of Revelation, became a leader in the church of Ephesus. That he led these people. He spent time there before being exiled to Patmos. And by God's grace, the church has faithfully discerned truth from error. And Christ commends them for it. Diligent in their service. Courageous in their commitment, orthodox in their doctrine. Yet I hold this against you, he says. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Ever known a family that appeared to have it all together? We'll call them the Instagram fam. Best foot forward. Kids are well behaved. Mom and dad get along, no problems. Everything's beautiful. They are the model family. Except they're not. We all have issues. 
to get to know each other a bit more, we undercover that, that we've all got challenges that they too have kids that rebel from time to time. They too deal with challenges in marriage. Things are not always what they appear. That's what Christ is, is saying, I think, about the church in Ephesus. Despite external appearances, the church is in deep, deep danger. They are practicing religion without a relationship. Practicing self-preservation and self-promotion devoid of passion for the all-sufficient Savior. All doctrine but no doxology. They have lost their love for Jesus and true and living churches love Jesus. True and living churches love Jesus. Kind of churches that honor the Lord must love Jesus Christ. Meadowbrook, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Or do we simply come and gather here because we think it's the right thing to do? Remember the story of, of Jacob in the Old Testament working for his wife, Rachel. Jacob was a grandson of patriarch, father in the faith, Abraham. Remember Abraham and Sarah waited a long time for the promise of the Lord to have a child. They finally had, had Isaac. And Isaac grows up and he marries Rebekah. And they have Jacob and Esau. And Jacob grows up and he's sent away by mom and dad. He's sent away by Isaac and Rebekah to find a wife. And he goes. And he meets Rachel. Jacob falls in love with her. According to scriptures, he's absolutely crazy about her. He's head over heels in love with her. In fact, he agrees to work for her father, Laban, for seven years in exchange for taking Rachel as his wife. Of course, he's duped in that whole encounter. You remember that. He gets Leah instead and then works another seven years for Rachel. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 20, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And believe it or not, seven years in that day was the same amount of time as it is today. Roughly 2,556 days or so. A long, long time. But because Jacob was in love and working for the one he loved, the years zipped by. They flew by. Because they were only... As if they were a few days to him. He worked diligently and joyfully because he was working for his love. Friend, if you don't love Christ, your labor for him, your service to him and his church will seem to be a drudgery. It will not satisfy you. Nor will it honor him. Like Jacob, we are called to work. To work here to proclaim and to serve, to care and to go in a world of pain in persecution of opposition and temptation as we wait and anticipate the great marriage supper of the Lamb. That heavenly wedding celebration and feast, a celebration of Christ being united to His church, His bride. And the only way our time here will seem like only a few days is if our, if our heart and soul and mind and, and strength are consumed and captivated by love for Jesus Christ and His love for us. Believer, remember Christ's love for you. Remember Christ's love for you. May we remember Christ's love for us. Jesus says to the Ephesian church, you have a love problem. You need to love again. Verse 5, He says, consider how far you have fallen. 
In other words, he says, you were once astounded at the cross, overjoyed by forgiveness and moved by God's mercy. But your eyes have drifted and your heart has hardened. Perhaps you feel a bit more deserving of his love now. And so the cross of Christ no longer seems like such a big deal. Still doing the right things and clinging to the truth. But as John Stott so helpfully said, to hate error and evil is not the same as to love Christ. To hate wrong, to hate error, to hate is not the same as to love Christ. In church, perhaps some of you are also there. Perhaps many of us are there. Once broken over our sin and awed by God's love and grace, faith talk and Faith practice has become rote and routine. And the solution is the same for us as it was for Ephesus. Remember Christ's love for you. Remember his love for you. Elsewhere, John, the disciple John, the author of this book, wrote extensively about God's love for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We didn't start this thing. We love him because he first loved us. First John chapter 3 verse 1. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. First John chapter 3 verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Friends, it is love for Jesus that moves us to love one another and others in his name. And the moment we are no longer moved by the love of Jesus Christ, we are flirting with spiritual adultery. And we need to repent and return to Christ. Repent and return to Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 2 verse 5. Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first call to love again admit and turn from your error he says and start walking with me once again love again spend time with christ listen to him talk to him spend quiet time with him perhaps it means getting off facebook and instagram for a while and start stop surfing pictures and start reading the scriptures spend time with him Let's walk with Him. Let's listen to Him. Let's be moved to love Him again. From time to time I hear, and perhaps you do too, husbands and wives talk about how they just don't love each other anymore. The feelings they once had have have drifted away. They once had and enjoyed has gone. There's no motivation or desire to salvage the marriage, but any decent Marriage counselor knows that love grows as it is practiced. You can't build a a faithful marriage on feelings alone. You you begin to feel the love when you practice love. In a similar fashion, Christ doesn't doesn't say to the church, He doesn't say sit and wait. Wait till you feel my love again. Wait till you feel like loving me again. No, He says, I want you to be my people. I want you to receive my unfailing and everlasting love for you, but to receive it, you need to see it. And when you see it and keep on looking at it, you will love me. You will grow to love me in return. He closes verse 7 by saying, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Victory. The one who is victorious. Victory, a key theme in the book of Revelation and of the Christian life, comes by way of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And faithfulness to Christ requires loving Christ. True and living churches love Jesus Christ. Friends, our, our, our Lord cares for us. Lord cares for us. He, he loves us and He knows us and He wants the very best for us. And what is best for us is to be His. To be saved by the blood of the Lamb and to live forever in the paradise of God. To enjoy His bounty and His blessing and to rejoice in His presence. So love Christ. Love Christ. And you will live and love forever. Love Christ. And you will live and love forever. This is a promise from Him. Friend, He doesn't call you to that which He doesn't also provide for you. Love the one who loved you first. And you will enjoy His love forever. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus was questioned by one of the teachers of the law about what the greatest commandment was. Jesus responded, the most important commandment, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He goes on to say the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there is no commandment greater than these. And the good news for us is that not only is he worthy of love, not only does God instruct us, command us, to love Him and to worship Him, for He is worthy, but His character leads us to want to do so. His character is good. He is gracious and compassionate and patient and loving with us. Friend, do you love Him? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you know His love? May we be a people and a church family that is forever marked by love for the God who loves us first. And Father, may it be so. Lord, may that be true of our lives. Father, may we be faithful to you. Lord, may we encounter your love day by day as we walk with you, as we hear your gospel, as we sing your praise. Lord, we pray that your spirit would lead us and convict us and guide us and and open our eyes to the width and height and depth of the love of Jesus for us. Father, you love us with a love that never fails. You love us with a love that does for us what we cannot do on our own. You love us with an everlasting love, a saving love. Father, lead us to love you in response. Overwhelm us, captivate us by your grace for us, by your character, by your might. That we might serve you here passionately, faithfully, lovingly all the days of our life. Lord, that we too might be with you one day in the paradise of God. Father, as we respond to you this morning, may your spirit convict us and lead us and guide us that we would be faithful. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.